Hey guys, and welcome to the Freelance Fairy Tales podcast. I'm Alex Fasulo, your host, six figure freelance writer, serial entrepreneur, Fiverr Pro seller, and digital nomad. You've come to the right place if you want to know more about working for yourself online as a freelancer today. I've been freelancing for over six years, and I want to share what I've learned with you. Welcome back to the Freelance Fairy Tales podcast, where we chat all things remote work, freelancing, mindset, and financial freedom. This week, I'm very excited to welcome on probably my favorite couple in the world, Matthew and Michelle Taylor. Also, Matthew, you are the first male guest I've had so far this season, oh, so wow. there's that. <laughs> they are co-founders of Electrolift Creative, an award-winning creative boutique filmmaking agency that produces documentaries short films and other creative content which makes you guys my first filmmakers i had the pleasure of actually meeting you guys i think four years ago was it when i saw your documentary the creepy line which looks in depth at google's interference with our everyday lives and how we think very disturbing but important to know they've taken home more awards than i can list in this intro and have been all over the internet for their production and release of marcel duchamp the art of the impossible if i said that right and they are also starting a blockchain startup which we are going to talk about so with that hi guys hey <laughs> so there good to be here today thank you alex thank you for coming on so the majority of people who listen to my podcast are listening to it for freelancing help mm-hmm. and all that good stuff so before we get into the fun nuts and bolts of what you guys do i thought i would take it back to the basics with both of you and when you both had that moment when you knew you wanted to work for yourself and be an entrepreneur or freelance so michelle We'll start with you. When did you kind of have that moment in your career where you were like, I'm going to go work for myself and freelance and I think I can make this work? Well, I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. Matthew and I had been married for a few years and the company that I was working with just wasn't really a good fit anymore. I was ready for a change and I ran across kind of an old coworker, someone actually who was running a department that I'd interned for many years before when I was still in college. And I hadn't even really stayed in touch. We just ran into each other kind of on the circuit in DC. And I reached out to her saying, you know, kind of hoping a little bit just to get some guidance and some advice and everything. She was a great mentor at the time and became a very good mentor of mine. And at that point, she, you know, we kind of came to an agreement that she had just started her own business and was mm-hmm. looking to help it grow and it offered to bring me on at that point. And it was terrific because it was my first remote job at the time. And this was many years ago. And I immediately fell in love with remote work. So that almost was that first step of like, I want to continue doing this. I can't imagine going back into the office and sitting every day, going to a staff meeting and going to the morning meetings. And then the most exciting part of the day, talking around a cooler or walking to Starbucks type of a thing. So that started me kind of on the journey. And then with that company at the time, it was really just her and I, and we both kind of got to grow it completely. So whereas I was not her employee, I was a freelance contractor and, you know, we grew the company to many employees over several years, traveled the country. I really enjoyed it. But then it was in 2016 at the end of that year where I just decided it was time to kind of leave that behind completely and mm-hmm. join Electrolift Creative, which Matthew had already been doing kind of full time with everything. Okay. So then I, so I was kind of like working as a freelancer and company extensively. I had some of my own clients at the time and then full time again in 2016. Okay. Awesome. So you've been freelancing full time for five years or so, or even more than that. 
I, I mean, I would say kind of because my income with the, you know, the earlier job was up and down based on the client and the works. And I was responsible for bringing in kind of all my own work and everything. And that job actually started back in 2009. So okay. it was a long time ago at this point. All right. I love that you guys are like, I love that you're veterans with this. <laughs> all right, Matthew, when did you know that no boss for you? You know, it's interesting because I came out of, I guess you would say a freelancing family. My mother is a fashion photographer, so mm-hmm. she had worked in New York City in the 80s and 90s, and photographers are, are by definition, freelancers in many ways. So she had worked with Eileen Ford and John Casablancas and a number of people. And so I kind of grew up in a household where both my mom and dad were freelancers, essentially. And eventually my dad would go on to actually you know, do more medical stuff. So it was kind of in my brain to kind of be freelance artist in a way. I went to art school and then I came out of I came out of art school and worked like some normal jobs like out of college, you know. But eventually I, you know, as a filmmaker, you kind of work project to project and the projects tend to be fairly large. So they tend to be like, you know, six months or nine months. But yeah, I I kind of always did it. I very rarely took any like salary jobs. For a couple of years, I did one job that gave me a salary. But I like the end of projects. I like the kind of the black swan aspect of of like, you know, the project ends and you don't know what happens next and it changes. So I came out of that of a family like that. And frankly, I think it, you know, that's that's the way the economy eventually has shaken out. So I guess almost my entire working career has been freelance to an extent. I know. I love I was going to ask you guys. So what has it been like to be around since the start of the gig economy as freelancers, essentially? Right. That makes you guys so unique with this. What's it been like to see this happen the last 10 years? Well, I know when I started working from home, it was incredibly rare. And Some people were not like a few people were like, oh, that'd be interesting to try that for one day at one time. Yeah. <laughs> and that was as much excitement as I can get. And so most yeah. people were just like, oh, my God, you're missing out on so much. What do you do about socialization? How do you meet friends? How do you like, again, with that mindset that their entire social construct was work? And I was just like, well, thankfully, I have plenty of friends and a good social life without work. And so yeah. I didn't miss that. And so I think the exciting thing is seeing it become more common, it become more accepted, you know, by everybody, but also the technology kind of caught up. There's, mm-hmm. you know, little mm-hmm. things that could be challenging at the very beginning that have resolved themselves so easily over time. And then of course, as, you know, starting way long ago, seeing just everything in the gig economy catch up with the Ubers and the other technology yeah. that you take advantage of, where it's just more and more people that now that I know are, have branched out to do their own thing. Yeah. And then we could also, Matthew w- would want to talk about TikTok. <laughs> yeah. I love TikTok. <laughs> we could talk about that all day long and all of the gig economy activity on there. <laughs> it's great because the creative industry always had the gig, you know, you always had makeup artists and you had lighting guys and sound guys and graphic designers and you had firms and you had the gig economy folks. What's nice is that the gig economy has 
expanded outside of just the creative industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was clear that you could go to New York City and find a bunch of, you know, studio musicians or Photoshop guys or or even further back, you know, beat photographers. But now it's actually expanding out to a whole bunch of other industries that are not traditionally gig economy. And of course, you have a decentralization of a lot of places, you know, things like boutique clinics and Mm -hmm. doctors and healthcare as these things are changing i think that the gig economy is is becoming the economy especially with with how global it's become i mean you know clearly things like fiverr which you know you're the you're the jedi master but but the thing is like you you need if you need things people have are willing to provide services across all industries. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer just in say LA or New York or Chicago. And it's no longer just like a bunch of creative people went to art school. It's everybody and everybody can join in. And I think it's better uh, Mm because it gives better options and it gives you more customizability. So that's why I'm I'm really excited about the state of the gig economy now. And it also has allowed us, ironically, too, as freelancers to run our own business. We right. mm-hmm. d- have worked on dozens of projects and directed many films. And we only hire freelancers for mm-hmm. every single aspect of the project. We don't have employees. So as projects yeah, right now, we've been able to build a terrific network yeah. of other people who are doing the same thing and bring them in. And they offer much more talent and diversity of richness and experience than if they had just been employees for us. So it's allowed, I think, our business to also grow and yeah. take advantage of others. Totally. It's like a hub and spoke or, you know, type of business system for yes. me where it's kind of just me. But on any given day, there's like 15 people that are like on my peripheral that I'll access as I need to. But you're, you can scale a business so much more quickly because you're not paying salaries and benefits exactly. and retirement, you know, and everything for those people. So would you guys say it's ultimately you think it's a good thing that people are quitting their nine to fives and droves like I tell them to and <laughs> freelancing? Do you think that's a good thing? <laughs> well, absolutely. Because, I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you have a firm, let's say you I mean, if you have look, if, if you're doing, you know, making Star Wars, you know, even those even a project of that size will use multiple mixes of firms and, yeah. and freelancers, but it also allows you to have multiple creative voices as opposed to just having one mm-hmm. voice in your company, you know? And so sometimes mm-hmm. when you, when you tackle certain clients, you know, if you do only one thing and you hear employees only do one thing a certain way, you may not be able to tackle that creative problem and so the nice exactly. thing about when you bring in somebody from the outside who has a new way of thinking, you may find new ways to tackle these problems that mm-hmm. you couldn't do as a, as, an, as a formal entity. And I think that's one of the fun things. Like sometimes we'll get a, a director of photography that's like just sees something in a totally wild way mm-hmm. and it adds to the toolbox of creative options. So, yeah, I think the more people who enter the the conversation and in, in the in the work pool it's better because i think people want variety there's mm-hmm. more competition and ultimately it adds to the cre- kind of the creative ceiling and makes it more you know unlimited yeah i i use my instagram in that way right i'll go on my instagram story if i am having like a block with anything and i'll just say to people do you guys have an idea for this and like hundreds of people will write in. And it's it's like this should be illegal that I can access all of these different like these ideas. All right. So let's say right now there is an 18-year-old listening to this 
They don't want to go to college. They want to get into filmmaking and they don't really know how to start that process. They would probably want to ask you guys, where does one find a client in your case? Where, where would they start their search for that? Which area of filmmaking kind of they yeah. want to go into. But usually yeah. the best bet is to look for people that start in your local community. I think, honestly, mm-hmm. especially you have to build up some experience. You need that reel of work that you've worked on that's mm-hmm. gotten out there a little bit. I do find, especially in the filmmaking world and probably in most creative industries, local communities are very tight. I The first thing I go to is I go to my go-to freelancers for a project and mm-hmm. if, half the time they're not available, but they will always recommend three to four yeah. others and I go to them. And it's so much word of mouth these days. And I will say I do go and sometimes look up people's work who I don't know on Instagram. I mean, I mm-hmm. honestly don't feel like mm-hmm. websites are that used or <laughs> that common yeah. anymore. I feel like most of what we do is looking at people's work on Instagram. So yeah. if you want to be a photographer or cinematographer or something, kind of increasing that footprint that you have online, because that's the first place I will go to see if I want to kind of hire you or bring you on the set. Okay. And, and just networking with your local people who are in the same field mm-hmm. as you. Yeah. That's such good advice. Of course, your portfolio is everything like it is in the world of freelancing. Nobody cares about your special, you know, award you got when you were 16 in high school. They want to look at your portfolio and that's it. So I always say to people, go do free work if you need to, to get that portfolio created, to get the reel made, go do what you need to do to just get ahead, especially if you don't want to go to college or anything like that. Would you guys say that college is an important prerequisite in your field or not as much as never it never asked anyone for no. their any of their educational attainment when it comes yeah. to that we've ever done it's purely based on work the quality of the work yeah, I, I love mean, that I, I think it's important to create work that shows initiative mm-hmm. you know That's I think point. I think for look right now anyone can get one of these right everybody can have a phone right and the mm-hmm. and the new iPhone or even even two or three generations ago is an incredible filmmaking tool. When I started in the late 90s to get your hands on the camera, it was very difficult. Uh, we, I remember I used to go to play Circuit City, buy a camera, shoot with the camera, and then return it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, it was like, we don't recommend that. But, but, you know, you would do what you had to do to get things done. But yeah. the thing is, is that, is that nobody, you know, will, will ask you to make certain things. You have to, you have to make things to show, you know, show, show, that you are a creative thinker. Because I think one of the things is that critical thinking is important in the gig economy, you know, because no one's telling you particularly what to do. There's no nine to five. You know, you work seven days a week or you work no days a week, but that's that's all of that is up to you. And so, you know, how you initiate work, how you push work, people see when you go, when they say, well, who paid you to do this? And you say, well, I did it on my own. And they go, oh, I like that. That means that when I have a project, you'll sit there and you'll go, I have an idea. I have an idea. I have an idea. Because ultimately, a lot of clients don't actually know what they want. That's why they're talking to you in the first place. And by showing that initiative, I mean, my early projects, I did I did a free shoot for Nolan Ryan baseball camp in Northern Virginia. I did a sports show in a bar like really 
you know, weird stuff, but you know, it was like, I had to get stuff going and they were putting it on public access. And I was like, well, you know, like uh, it's, it's on TV technically. So (laughs) yeah, I had a guest on here a couple episodes ago and she said, nobody cares about your idea. She was, she wrote a book. She's like, they care about the book. Like nobody care, you know, nobody cares about what you want to do or what you think you're going to do. They care about the actual initiative and seeing that you're actually going to do it for them. (laughs) Otherwise they're like, yeah. I, and I wanted to ask you guys, so when you come up for the topics for your documentaries or the different films you do, is that half, you know, generated by you guys with the client or does the client more so come to you and say, I want this general topic, make it happen? I would say the latter. So most okay. of them come to us and just say, you know, here's an idea. A lot of times it's like, here's what we're trying to do. What do you, what's a solution? And yeah. then we always recommend, here's a movie that we can make about that. The nice thing is we've been very blessed that we've most clients give us a lot of creative control. Mm -hmm. Not always. (laughs) There's always a client Mm -hmm. that's a little bit more challenging. And then, but the other ones like the Marcel Duchamp, that was one that we developed internally and it was something Matthew had always wanted to do. And so we took initiative and self-funded it. It took five years to make, probably for that reason. Had to travel to seven countries and interview artists all over the world. And then it was nights and weekends in the spare time that he had that he was able to kind of start the editorial and everything. So that was doing hundred percent on our own, but it became also then a calling card mm-hmm. for other types of films that we know that we mm-hmm. wanted to make and to show people kind of the range of our filmmaking abilities and experience. So it's kind of like a hybrid. Cause I always say to people when they're like, Oh, I want to freelance and I only want to write about this for someone. And I'm like, well, you do have to understand there's a paying client on the other end Absolutely. that kind of <laughs> dictate a little bit of you know what you're doing along the way. But I do feel like after you've enjoyed a certain amount of time in it, seven years, 10 years, 12 years, whatever, you can almost kind of have fun with it at that point. Like you have the seniority, you can make your own film if you want and shop it around and show it to people. So would you guys say like that kind of came later in your filmmaking where you were able to start making your own? Well, for for me, it was a mix. I worked a lot in in fashion work, Mm pre-documentary and in ballet, short films and art films. And a lot of those, a lot of those creative projects initially got me my like more formal clients. Again, it was showing like, okay, I I can get a bunch of ballet dancers together and then we can go out and we can shoot a bunch of stuff and then we can make a bunch of stuff. And they would see that work and they would say, well, if you can work at this creative level, then it's going to be a lot easier to to tone you down to what we need, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I think there's a, it's, there's a chicken and the egg kind of you mm-hmm. know area here. Like you need you need certain things to make certain things, mm-hmm. but to mm-hmm. but to get those things, you need to make things to get to those things, right? And so. Yeah. You know, you need a camera, you need a computer, you need these kind of basic things. But on the on the flip side, like, you know, you are constantly having to hone your uh, your kind of ability to think and to create. And the nice thing is that these days, I mean, you can go on YouTube and learn so many skills. I mean, there's plenty yeah. of 12 year olds showing people how yeah. to get after effects because <laughs> they grew up in, with the software. You know, uh-huh. I didn't get after effects. So I was 19. And so, you know, I think there's a there's a we're in a we're in a position now where you the, a lot of the resource heavy stuff like talking about going to college like we were talking about previously a lot of this stuff is is available now a lot of it you could just get to work and mm-hmm. a lot of people are talented you know we talked about tiktok we're seeing people like yeah. who've never done these things if you give them the tools mm-hmm. they can 
do it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's created whole new areas of the economy that people have never even thought of before. So yeah. it's, it's very exciting like that. Yeah, the, I call this podcast season is just like my TikTok show because I basically every single guest I have on is someone that I adore on TikTok. So I'm just basically having people come on the show to like yeah, befriend them. <laughs> I'm like interviewing them to help listeners, but I'm like, I'm actually doing this for selfish reasons. Well, we do that with documentaries. Sometimes we're like, who do we want to interview? We're like, oh, yeah. let's like make something around that or let's add this person mm-hmm. as well because we really want to meet them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's like a perk of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A good example is the Duchamp documentary. I mean, we wanted to make this movie and, you know, I just started cold calling professors. Yeah. Cold calling. I, I didn't know what the movie's really about yet. I mean, I knew I'm a Duchamp guy, but I didn't know what it was going to look like mm-hmm. or sound like or anything. And I mm-hmm. just started cold calling and somebody said yes. I mean, I learned this, you know, I saw Debbie Millman. She's the, des- you know, I, I, I great designer speak once and she spoke on failure and she said look 100% of people ask once 80% of people ask twice mm. 20% of people ask a third time and that became mm-hmm. the mode of operation we ask three times the first yeah. time people go i don't know who you are no and the second time they go well i don't know maybe and the third time they go yeah, yeah. okay why not right and, yeah because and, yeah, mm-hmm. most people aren't persistent like that and once no. you kind of get the first one you get the confidence to hone to the second one but that first step is so critical just doing it you know it's yeah. like they say you can't win if you don't play mm-hmm. totally i had someone just email me today some guy who freelances and just because he took the time he sent me an email this long to ask to be on my podcast i said sure like <laughs> sure yeah. come on like absolutely Yes. He took the time. He pitched himself to me. It looked great. I just said, yeah, he only had to ask once. He didn't, he didn't even have to ask three times. That effort matters. It does. It definitely does. So, okay. So perks of being freelancers. I feel like I love what you guys do is you've been to how many countries now? Total? 56. I think you're 56 on 55. Yeah. yeah. And saying you've been to all the states. Many others to go. Yeah. Or Michelle's been to all 50 states. Matthew, have you yet? 48. Yeah. 48. Okay. So I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. That to me is a perk of freelancing. You get to see the world. You're not confined mm-hmm. to a space, which brings me now to a fun part of our chat. If we want to, if you guys want to talk about Chile last year, right. And then now Antarctica, they're going to Antarctica for everyone listening to this, which is insane. I follow Antarctica people on TikTok, and it looks intense down there. <laughs> it is dangerous and remote yeah <laughs> yeah so just tell me like what antarctica like how are you even getting there <laughs> like how does well, one get there we are flying in i think i'm just flying and michelle will be either on a separate plane okay. shooting something else We're going to film the eclipse that's yes happening there, which, yeah. is, which is 50 seconds long yes so this so whole effort to go for 50 is 50 yeah. seconds what it was is last year we were asked to go travel to actually Alaska with a number of people to film a number of space, Northern Lights, Northern and, lights mm, and like that. Mm. And of course, the pandemic canceled all those things. So the team decided to go to Chile to film a, a eclipse there. And at the time, the countries were still closed. It cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. They got clearance by the government. It was a very complicated trip. Mm -hmm. So we got down there and we're with some of the world's best scientists from all over the world, from France, from England, parts of the United States. And there was sun on the day before the eclipse and there was sun the day after. And we got rained out on the day of. And it was a complete 
disaster. And so, and these people travel the world, they, they are wow. the most, yeah, the most intense people in the yeah. world when it comes to, cause you know, cause with, with eclipses and all these kinds of things, like you're there or you're not. And mm-hmm. they, they were there, they're on the location, the only people in the globe who got there and they missed it. So now they are, they are going after the eclipse in Antarctica in December. And again, it's one of those trips where, you know, these, this information is very important to the science community because how the sun does what it does determines weather patterns, determines how crops grow. It's basically the the data that's needed for life on Earth. And so we get the honor to travel with them and document this experience. Wow. And so, you know, this trip is a very complicated trip. But again, this is one of those things where, you know, being a freelancer, this is Mm -hmm. why we do it. Mm -hmm. Do it so that we can be embedded with one of these things so we can be flexible because for projects like these, you are at the mercy of basically all winds of the universe. And you need to have that flexibility right. and ability to, to pivot when, when things come up. And things yeah. will absolutely come up. Mm-hmm. Do you guys ever have, like, Michelle, your, your projects extended? Like, if you think you were going to go there for three weeks, it suddenly becomes eight weeks? Not that much to an extent. I mean, I think when we start a new fill project, we never know how long it's going to 100% take. And yeah. The challenge being we're working on one right now, the availability of interviewees. And so sometimes, oh. and this is, you know, something I love about freelancing, but is a challenge to be honest as well, is that, you know, if you're given a budget of what this is going to be, it's something it takes sometimes twice as long, but you still have the same funding available mm-hmm. type of a thing. You have to kind of be flexible and stay on top of it, stay on top yeah. of your own funding and money coming in. I think the Chile is an example of, we were thankfully had the costs in Chile covered for us, but yeah. we weren't paid for the time because there was supposed to be things that happened that did not. And so you have to know that and be aware that, mm. you know, there's going to be things that work better than you could ever imagine. Things that just don't work out quite as easily or conveniently mm. as yeah. you would have hoped. And I think with freelancing though, the benefit is that you have your hands in a lot of different piles and clients and works. Yeah. So you're not totally reliant on just one thing. But it is important to always know that there can be a little bit of that downside of things taking longer and sometimes being more challenging. Revision. Yes. Or in (laughs) this case, you know, something just completely not working out. Now, we had a great experience in Chile. Personally, had a wonderful time. It was great. But (laughs) we didn't get what we needed to come for to be able to sell that footage. On the flip side, though, you know, the the project, while it was a failure for its, its goal, it did give an insight into into a scientific expedition that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's as the freelancer, your job is also to take lemons and make lemonade. So, you know, we say, okay, it didn't work. And what yeah. can we turn this into? Yeah. And that has now become now Antarctica is a success as it will be. We will have a, a expedition that failed and then an expedition that succeeded. And that's uh-huh. going to make a pretty interesting film. Do you guys have to get special insulated clothing or what's Mm -hmm. the word? Like snow pants and stuff? Because I see those people, they're like, oh, it's a negative 120 degrees outside. Thankfully, it's summer, but I still think the high is 10 degrees. Oh, okay. And like the peak of during the day. So at night, it still gets pretty cold. Yeah, it's it's all specialized. I mean, look, it's we're flying on very small planes, going to very remote places. Yeah. The gear has to be weather weatherized and everything has to be weatherized. You know, but again, it's one of those, you know, it's, it's more, the, it's more the things that happen when you're on the ground, you don't want to fall through a 
as they say, a crevasse. And, you know, it's, it's a, you're just constantly aware. The good thing is that we filmed all over the world. We filmed in a number of situations that are complicated. And so you just have, you know, as you, as you go through this process, you learn to do these things and you just, you know, it becomes second nature. And that's why they end up, that's why they bring you. They bring you because you step out of, you step off the plane, you step out of the car, you hit record and, you know, everything works. Yeah. Now the flat earthers and conspiracy theorists would say, "Be careful down there because there's people under the ground." Would what would you say? To that? Yeah, hearing more about that. You know, yes. it's funny. Yeah, you're not the first person to bring up that argument with us. I I had to bring that up because there's a lot of people who think. I'm, I am not saying I believe this. For anyone listening to me before the Reddit thread appears, there are people who think that there's a lot of Nazis from Germany were flown there at the end of the 40s and they're living under the ice. So I would say, be careful. Yes. <laughs> well, we never know. Yeah, well, you know, a, a lot of them went to Argentina, which is not far from the ice. So. <laughs> I know. You guys might maybe be going back to do a second documentary. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So speaking of not keeping all of your eggs in one basket and side hustles and everything, your blockchain startup. I don't know how much you can say about it, but please just tell me more what's happening there. Well, you know, a, a technology and filmmaking and technology and art are very, have a, have a long historic relationship. You know, yeah. I mean, everything, the pencil is a piece of technology, how mm-hmm. the Sistine Chapel ceiling was painted is technology. And so as we move forward, especially with the gig economy, the cryptocurrency and the blockchain and these things will become more critical. Of course, we hear a lot about NFTs lately. Mm-hmm. So we are working on a project. We can't talk about it too much yet, yeah, but yeah. Like, it is a project that is designed to help people like freelancers proceed through a complicated world on the legal and business side. Mm. So, you know, that's protecting intellectual property. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really important because, you know, when you are a freelancer, especially when you work in media, you know, not everybody has three lawyers and an accountant, you know, especially when in the world of like with memes and all, you know, the various kind of like internet appropriation material, you know, can get you in a little trouble, especially internationally, places like France and Germany that don't, you know, have say fair use. And so it's important that freelancers who work in in those kinds of mediums are aware to, you know, protect themselves, protect their ideas and, you know, be careful with with, you know, especially when you work with large clients and things like that, that, you know, it's very clear what your job is, what you own and things like that. And so NFTs and blockchain will help clarify that for the for the gig economy. And so I think it's very exciting because back in the day, if you're a photographer in New York City and somebody wanted to take your photo, there was just nothing you could do about it. Yeah. And that is rapidly changing for the benefit of everybody who wants to freelance. Yeah. And I like what you said about art and technology kind of having like a symbiotic relationship almost mm-hmm. throughout history. Because I find ironically today, those of us who get on TikTok and post about a creative talent we're doing, we get called sellouts and every other thing. And people get all upset because they think if you're a creative, you should be at home making no money with the you know blinds closed <laughs> and mm-hmm. eating beans out of a can. And what would you say to like creatives listening to this that you can turn your creative talent into a full-fledged business? Like, what would you say to someone feeling discouraged? Michelangelo was paid by 
the Catholic Church. Yeah. Leonardo da Vinci yeah. was paid by the Catholic Church. Yeah. Picasso sold all his work through dealers. I mean, you know, there there's no shortage of every single person in art history. Well, my background's in art history as mm-hmm. well. There is a business there. There's always been a business in art and there's always a business in these things. You know, musicians sell albums. You know, I'm a big Radiohead fan. They they sell tickets to shows, they sell swag, they sell yeah. you know, records. You know, it's it's there's it's no less there's no less artistic integrity in any right. of the work. It's it just shows that people like the work and people are willing right. to pay for it. And I think that's that's a wonderful thing. It also, you know, sharpens people's creative ability so they up the ante, you know, like, oh, well, so-and-so is doing this great work and their their people are liking it and buying it. It's it's a measurement of of you know that interaction between you and, and the people. There's no reason to to push down somebody who is working in the in the art market, which is now the market. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I feel like people are almost uncomfortable seeing a creative be quote unquote rich. Like they they feel more comfortable, probably because of our schooling, maybe that the doctor, the accountant, the lawyer should be the rich person and the painter, the filmmaker, the writer should just be at a cafe and be all like grumpy for some (laughs) reason. I I don't know where that comes from (laughs) somewhere. You had, well, you look, you've had a, you've had centuries of, you know, who doctors and lawyers buy Jeff Koons and they buy these artists and they buy, you know, and so I think, I think it's, it's, look, it's hard to, to work in a creative industry but now, because of the gig economy, writers used to sit in cafes and write, and now mm-hmm. they can get paid. You know, they sit in cafes with MacBook Pros and write mm-hmm. and get paid. That's their office. So, you know, I think that that yes, in the past, I think it was difficult, but that's what technology has done. It's made those jobs that everyone looked down and said, "Oh, look at the starving artists," and made them artists and made them paid for for the value yeah. they provide. Yeah. So I would ask you guys, because we kind of already talked about it a little bit, but what's next for you in the next year or so? I don't ask people five or ten years, because you guys are probably like, there is no plan in five years from now. Whenever someone asks me that, I hate it, because I'm like, I don't know. What's next for you guys, like, through 2021? Well, starting this new company is going to be taking a lot more of our time into the fall. We also are in the middle of working on a film that will hopefully be released late quarter one, but probably more likely quarter two of next year, Okay, which we're very excited about. We're going through the interviews and handling all of that and have a few other kind of projects in the works. I think that one yeah. thing I love about freelancing is that, you know, you have the client work, but then we can start kind of getting creative on our own of what do we want to do and what do we want to see and how can we kind of turn that into something as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm working on an album and yeah. Yeah. the album has a series of music videos and documentaries yeah. and short films associated. We just released a 30 minute surrealism short film. So, you it's know, it's way through film festivals. It's, around the, yeah, the it's really, it. Well, you know, because yeah. I think it's like this. The other great thing about the about the gig economy is if I buy a camera or a computer, or any kind of component like it, it's used whether I make a commercial for a corporate client or whether I make it a short film, the skill sets are the same. It's the only thing that's changing is the actual content. So if Mm -hmm. I shoot an interview with a corporate CEO or I shoot a model, I'm still shooting. I'm still, the the creative process is still happening. Mm -hmm. And so that's a beauty of how it works now that the equipment and all these infrastructure things are, you know, are the same. Yeah. 
Do you have a TikTok open for your album yet or not? Not quite yet. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's in the works. We're working okay. on figuring out how how we want to release it. But yeah, I think I think TikTok and NFTs will be a big part of how that album comes out. All right, you better tell me when the TikTok has opened. I better be the first to know. <laughs> oh, you will be the first. <laughs> all right, so to wrap this one up with you guys, I feel like you know a lot about time management based on all of the different things you guys do. You have long-term, short-term, all this stuff overlapping, rolling over each other. So to anyone listening, what would both of you, what would your time management tips be and, and how you've made this all possible the last 10 years? I think for me, it's important to know when you're most productive. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that I need to spend my mornings when I am the most productive, thinking, responding, and not just talking on the phone. Kind okay. of phone meetings or Zoom calls are much better for the afternoon. Ideally, my, now I'm not, I don't get that all the time, yeah. but I know I'm most productive at a certain time. And so then I'm excited to dig in. Versus at the end of the day, I'm kind of like worn out. I yeah. always am trying to get up earlier and always never going to bed early enough <laughs> to do that. <laughs> so I think that helps. I'm also someone that if it's either not on a calendar or not on some sort of notepad, I find if I write something physically, very old school, I remember it 10 times as long. Yeah, me too. I have to list every single thing. Matthew always makes fun of me. I will put something on a list, even if I just did it to cross it off to feel better about myself. Yeah. I'm a list person and that's the only way I can get things done. But you're not. You do it a little differently. No, that was smart. I married somebody who was extremely <laughs> smart and organized. Who is a list person. <laughs> Michelle's much better at time management. I get distracted by creative details and she'll come yeah. in. And, but that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, films are... are weird they're collaborative projects with lots and lots of people so you know yeah. that's why there's a producer a producer's there to stop the director from you know overspending and doing crazy stuff so you know a lot of my time management i, I actually use my notes app on my phone it's probably the mm -hmm. most important application that apple has ever created and it helps keep me organized and focused what would you say is the second most important application they've made i'm just curious mm -hmm. Final Cut Pro, I would say, or, or the camera app. Yeah, I mean, he used honest. to travel and he would bring so many cameras along mm -hmm. with him and so many lenses, and it was like hurting our backs every time. And now you just need no, the so yeah, iPhone, iPhone 13 Pro going. Max. <laughs> yeah, is that the new? Is that the latest one? I don't. I think that was the eleven. Yeah, we highly recommend it. It's it's great camera. They've added a lot of professional features. Again. You know, the entire context of how you do things is totally changed. So, you know, yeah. you don't need a red camera to make a movie. I, I like yeah. a red camera, but, mm -hmm. you know, you don't need one. I know. And I've finally parted ways with my Canon camera for Instagram pictures, because for the longest time I was like, I'm going to have nice Instagram pictures. They're going to be high quality. And I finally accepted that you can't really tell with the most recent iPhones if it was a Canon camera or the iPhone. So I'm like, you know what? This is like my right shoulder will probably thank me for this. Yes, one day. Yeah, I mean, the best camera, yeah. the camera you have on you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show. If you have any final, if you have any like philosophical quotes you want to leave with or any anything you want to just say. I would say I've never regretted stopping everything becoming a freelancer, running our business. I've loved it. Not that it's had plenty of challenges, but I've loved every minute of it. And I could never say that about any full-time job that I ever had. Beautiful. I would say that, you know, being freelance is more secure than having a desk job. 
you know, totally. you have to think about mm-hmm. like this, right? If you have a desk job, you know, the economy goes bad or you could be fired. Like that's one point of failure that ruins your life. With freelance, yeah. yeah, you might not know when the next one is coming, but you're always working on something and something will come if you're diligent. And so at the end of the day, the real security is actually in the gig economy, not in the old school, you mm-hmm. know, the 30-year gray suit IBM model. No, and you get fired for your beliefs and your body and what you choose to do with it. All that stuff today. So I would say to people, the most secure thing in the world is to become a freelancer and have like one or two side hustles, I think. Uh, absolutely. I Could not agree more. Well, thank you guys for coming on. Thank, well, thank you, you for having us. It's so great to be here. Bye. <laughs>